Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want to welcome each and every one of you here this December the 14th. The, the time that I normally would do it, so what I just feel that I want to do is just... I just want to talk and just share some thoughts with you that I've wrote down, and I just want to start from the verse that growing up, going to the Church of God, that just meant so much to me, um, that we hear, I heard this verse quoted a lot, but really as you... As you grow up in the Lord and you really get an experience with the Lord, you learn just what this verse means. And it's John 3.16. And if you would just follow along on the screen or just, you probably know it by heart, but it just goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, this verse really does reveal the heart and the purpose of God. It really does. So, when it says that for God so loved the world, the way we speak of the world it's not referring to the world as is that point. Oh, the way that we, the way that a Christian would speak in the world of a bad sense. For God so loved the world. Look at it. For God so loved entire humanity. They don't care what you look like, what color you are, where you're from. For God so loved the world, and it just says, look at it like this, if you will, if you choose to. I don't care where you at, where you come from. If you believe this Bible, we all come from Adam. So God, in his writings, he anointed John. And John said, for God so loved the world, that encompasses everyone, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish. Perish is left out a lot, but should not perish. That if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you would have everlasting life. Now, Christmas that we celebrate with the world, and a lot of people have a, a different views. We don't push Christmas. In other words, it's to us, the church, and I want to speak to the church. It's not about Christmas. It's about Jesus. And we're not here to debate what Christmas means to us. Don't make it about Christmas. 
It is about Jesus. And don't get hung up if someone, and, and just pardon me, I want to be plain, so don't get mad at me. So if someone has a conviction, in other words, if I have a conviction, and I'm going to just just talk, but I'm trying not to be too arrogant. It, if I have a conviction, it is a conviction to me. I shouldn't put my conviction on you. So therefore, don't get hung up on Christmas. This is not about Christmas. If you look at it like this, we celebrate Christmas year-round, according to the world, because they want to look at it like Christmas is about celebrating Jesus. Or we celebrate Jesus year-round. So that's why we don't make it about Christmas. We come and we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate the Lord. So when we, uh, other words, when when the the world looks at it like this, or other words, go back to Thanksgiving. All you can hear is Black Friday. Or for long, Black Friday is going to be in October. And it's just Thanksgiving is just left out of it. In other words, Jesus is just left out of Christmas. It is just by this, by that. It's just the hustle and bustle, rush. And for long, America says, I want this to be over with. I'm tired of it. I'm tired. I'm just vexed. I'm just tired of this season. Well, that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to be tired of this. He wants this season to get to you and you just to be frustrated and just vexed with it and tired and just, but we're not, I don't want to get into that mode. I don't want to get into it. That's why I said I can't let the world, and, and that's why um, I go back and I look at it like from a biblical, I really do, I really and honestly truly truly try to compare everything to the Bible. That's why that I was thinking about this. And when Goliath stood upon the, the mountain and, and roared down to God's people and said, send me out a man that we may fight together, he was dictating the rules. Now where Israel, I think, went wrong is they let him define the rules. They let him define who they were. For, for 40 days, the amount of severe testing we know to the Bible, Israel sat there saying, who among us is a man? When they just stood a hit their knees and just said, God send us a man, stood a looking among themselves and said, which one, which one among us is a man? They just let the enemy define the rules. That's why I said, I'm not going to let the world define what Christmas is. I know what Christmas is. It's loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want to look at it that way, I'm not going to let the world define what Christmas is. So that's why I said, that's why the Bible, I truly and, and, and will always believe, that's why the Bible truly has the verse that says, there was no sword in the hand of David. David refused to let the enemy define who he was. Goliath is the one that says, come out and fight me. Send me a man and let him come out that we may fight. Get your sword and come fight me. Send me a man. Well, God sent him a man. It just wasn't the man that they thought. In other words, that's why I believe their version of a man and God's version of a man will never match. It never will match. It never will, and it, it, it just will not match. So he took, and David went out, and he fought Goliath, and he won. So that's why I said when it comes to Christmas, I don't look to the world to define Christmas for me. For uh, we, we can't do that. So that's why I said in this time of year, 
Christmas means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And it's just, that's why we can't get, we can't get lost in this. We can't get, if, if you got personal convictions about things about Christmas, that's fine. Keep them personal to you. And I don't mean to be crude with that. What we do, we love Jesus Christ. As Paul said, we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. As far as Christmas, we ain't doing no more than that. We ain't going to get hung up on all this other stuff about Christmas. If the world wants to do that, that's fine. We're going to keep this about Jesus, and that's it. So that's why I'm saying when it comes to the world, they can do all they want. They can have all the Christmas they want. And as far as me, I got nothing, nothing against Christmas because it's the one time of the year when the whole world, or I'll just use our country, our country more or less points towards Jesus. So it is an opportunity for us. that They open the door. We don't even have to open the door. They're already talking about Christmas, so to speak. So at a time that they would talk about it, it would just give us an opportunity to say, you know, this is what we think Christmas is really about. It is not about the gifts. It is not about soaking yourself in debt. It is not about worrying how you're going to pay for this lady. It is about a God that loved his creation so much that he made himself a body. He came unto his own, sacrificed himself, gave himself for mankind. That is what Christmas, to me, is all about. It is truly the greatest love story that was ever told. That is what Christmas is all about, to me. And so it opens up this door that gives us this time to do that. So the Bible tells us, for God so loved, so loved the world. And this is where I get my title. I just want to talk to you about, for God so loved. And we find ourselves, we scratch our head at times. Why did God do this? Why did God do that? He had, he was God. I mean, one question that I have just really pondered about, in the beginning... When Adam and Eve went wrong and they contaminated the whole human race, why didn't God just start over? Literally. Why didn't he just start over? Who would have knew it? No one would have ever known it. Stood contaminating the whole human race. Why didn't they just start over? I don't know. I don't know. Their humanity, just like I was. So if it was me standing in Adam's spot, would I be saying this now? And Adam was standing here, would he be saying, I'm sure glad God didn't just wipe me off. I'm so glad. I'm so glad after all the evil that I've caused. After all the evil that I've caused. That he just didn't wipe me off. After all the sin that I've done, that God just didn't wipe me off and be done with me. I don't know. For at all the times that we've scratched our head and just said, why did God go to the cross? Why did he suffer all of this? The answer, only the answer I know is for God so loved. For God so loved humanity. He gave everything he had. For every answer that we could come up with, I don't know. I don't know. It's just sometimes it just baffles our mind. Why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why did he go to this extent? 
Why did he suffer this much? Why did he suffer this one to go this far and not stop him? I don't know. For God just so loved. He just so loved. He just so loved humanity. And one, speaking of his love, I told um, I had a suspicion if, if the Lord hadn't changed my mind weeks ago when Brother Boyd, he spoke on this subject and, and I, I went to him afterwards and I told him, I said, um, you give me some thoughts and, and that I, I, so this next part, as he's done on me, I will do on him. Just blame this on him. So turn with me to uh, Genesis 28 and what I want to do I just want to compare these two brothers, and when it comes to family, I guess you can't get no closer than family. And so what we have is is Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 28 and 1, the Bible says... And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Now, in chapter 27, what happens up to this point is Jacob, he obtains Isaac's blessing. Esau is thoroughly disappointed and he hates Jacob. And at this point, Jacob is on the run. And that's when we come to 28. And Isaac, he calls him and tells him. And he says, look, do not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. So now, and I will just hit this and leave. You that are not married and think this is only your parents. This was 3,775 years ago that a father is telling his son, do not go to the world for your spouse. And I'm done with that. Genesis 28, 4. And give thee the blessings of Abraham to thee and to thy seed, and that thou mayest inherit the land where thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Now he's telling him, Isaac is telling Jacob, He's fixing to leave, but he says, do not forget, the land is only your inheritance. Don't fall in love with the land. The land is only an inheritance, and the land is because of your grandfather, Abraham. It was a blessing given to you because of Abraham, and he says, and the one that I think is one of the, the one that stands out the most in verse 4, and he says, and whatever you do, do not forget that you are a stranger in this land. The land is only your inheritance. Don't fall in love with the land, and do not forget that you are a stranger in this land. Do not forget, Isaac, but you inherit this. So he sent him away. Isaac obeyed him. He went away. And as we read Esau, at this point, it's just compromising. Isaac is obeying his father. Now, we know that, I, that Jacob hadn't been perfect by no means. 
that we know everything. I know most of you know this, that, that, that the Jacob and his mother, the games that they had played, and then here's Esau. He's thoroughly, he's thoroughly ticked off at his brother. But he takes, Esau is seeing everything that's going on. So Isaac blesses uh, Jacob. Jacob leaves, and he's going and he lighted in Genesis, uh, look with me, in Genesis 28. Now I'm going to jump to 11. The Bible says, He lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. And because the sun was set, he took stones of that place and put them up for pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending. Now, the Bible says he lighted upon a certain place. Now, I believe that he is taken, he's running, that life at this point is pushing Jacob. His father had took him, blessed him as we know it said, you've got to leave, go get you a wife. I'll tell you where to go get one. Jacob knows how much Isaac knows of this. I don't really know. But Jacob knows Isaac is not wanting to just hug his neck. Isaac is wanting to literally take his life, or Esau is wanting to take his life. So he's leaving. He's running. The Bible says that he took, he dreamed. God is letting him know about what I think it means about the, where the ladder, the angels of God ascending and descending. God is just letting him know the cycle's not been broken. In other words, that connection between me and you, Jacob. Jacob knows everything. In other words, nobody knows us like us. Jacob knew everything that he had done. So he lays down, and God is letting him know, Jacob it's still, it's still active. The cycle between me and you, the connection between me and you has not been broken yet. In the other words, the Bible tells us, and then look at me, uh, other words, the, the part that I like in verse um, 13, it says, I, I don't know if I give this to him, but it says, the land whereon thou liest. Now, I don't think this was God trying to have a sense of humor. He's telling Jacob, the land whereon thou liest. Now, to me, here is Jacob running. The Bible tells us he lighted upon a certain place. In other words, Jacob ran until he didn't have no more light, literally. The darkness literally overtake him before he had even stopped. And what I get out of this passage is this. Is that here is a God that so loved humanity that he took and God wouldn't let one of his own. I don't know what was going on in the mind of Jacob. But this I do know. He pushed. Life pushed him. He ran until he could not run no more. And God told him, the land whereon thou liest, God said, I'll do this and I will touch you even if I have to touch you. And I'll do it even if I have to do it while you're asleep. Now, what other kind of God would do that? I don't know. For God so loved. 
that he would take Jacob at a time that Jacob, as we would say literally at this point, wouldn't even give God the time of day. Jacob's running. Literally, the Bible tells us he lighted upon a certain place and wouldn't even stop, wouldn't even get right, wouldn't even clear his head, clear his thoughts. And God literally has to come to him and God says, I'll do it at a time when you have no control. In other words, I'll do it at a time when you're asleep. So God does that for Jacob. Here it is, Jacob, he's so confused. He's wandering, he's running, he's doing it. He's worried about his brother. He knows his father has sent, it away. His father has sent him away. And it's going to be a long, long time before he sees his parents again. A long time. In fact, I think it's only one more time. And it's literally at his death when he does see his father again. So God knows that. So he takes and he takes Jacob while he is asleep. And he reassures him. The cycle's not broken. I'm at the top. The angels is going up, getting the orders from me and look at it ever how you want. And then going back down to man. Look at it ever how you want. In other words, the cycle's not broken, Jacob. In other words, they're taken. God is going to do that. He took this anxious, anxious saint and said, I'll do it even if I have to do it while you're asleep. So God did this. He did this for Jacob. And Esau was the one. And there is scripture in the Bible that, that goes, and, and don't let these scriptures in the Bible bother you at all where the Bible talks about Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated basically now we know that God does not hate humanity so I believe this is me on scriptures like that I, I this the Bible talks about that from the very beginning that that we know that Jacob wasn't perfect that Jacob connived and his name meant supplanter and that he would just go, he would just do whatever it took, so to speak, to have his way. But God knows the heart. He knows the thought and the intent of the heart. So I believe that from the very beginning that God knew Jacob and Esau and he knew the character they was going to display and at time that they could have, they could produce whatever character they wanted. But the Bible talks about the writer of Hebrews even calls Esau a profane person. So I believe that when the, the birthright, when he come in and the, we see the exchange of the birthright, and the Bible says that, that Jacob had the beans in uh, basically what I would call a bowl of beans and that uh, Esau said, okay, I'll give you my birthright, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. You know, this was not about a bowl of beans. Literally, what I think this was about, Jacob, what Jacob proved to me, what this is all about is me pleasing my flesh. You can look at it ever how you want. This is the way I look at it. This was about Jacob or Esau proving that you could have the things of God. Now, the birthright, what it obtained was literally so much more, and it was the, the, the priest of the home, the priest of the family. And it says, literally, the Bible says that Esau literally despised his birthright. So literally, the things of God, Jacob had a yearning for, a longing for, wanted that which that he didn't think he could obtain, and Esau despised it. 
So when he comes in and Jacob says, you know what? Give me the beans. It was not. The Bible talks about him trading the beans for the birthright. I say it was not about the beans for the birthright. It was about just give me this. Give me something to satisfy my flesh. That is what it was about to me. It was not about the beans. It was not about the beans. It was about just give me something to satisfy my flesh. That was what Esau was portraying. That's what he wanted. Just long as my flesh is satisfied. I don't care what this, the things of God or the work of God is done. It means nothing to me. So therefore, that's what I think that it, when he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have, have I hated, that's what it's referring to. Jacob longed for the things of God. They didn't mean nothing to Esau. The things of God that should have concerned him meant nothing to him. He despised them. In other words, if there was a work of God going on, it meant nothing to Esau. Nothing. Nothing. So that's why that, that I believe that something like that, all the, all the, in other words, all the privilege, all the religious, as we would say, privileges that went along with the birthright, they meant nothing to Esau. So it just is, is, as Jacob come along and he's just so long for that. And it meant nothing to Esau. So God knows this. He is looking at the heart. So that is why I think that even at a point that Jacob is running, running, anxious, worried, running. And God said, I will not let a saint of mine get to this point that I'll do it. And if I have to do it, even if they are asleep. You won't get another God like that. That I'm telling you that you can be anxious and worried to death and don't even give God the time of day, but in your heart yearn for the things of God. And God give you peace even in the middle of night when the enemy would long to trouble and torment you. And God said, I'll do it even if I have to do it while they're asleep. And that's what, to me, that's what exactly he did. That is why when, when Jacob uh, uh, woke up out of his sleep, he didn't say God was in this place. He said God is in this place. It is not like God visited me and left. God is here and he ain't never left. He's here and he ain't never left. That is what he's done for me. And that's why that I, that, that I just love for God so loved for to me that he chose a time. He chose a time that he knew Jacob loved him. And he chose a time that even when Jacob didn't have no control over. And that was when he was asleep. I will bless you. I will minister to you. Even at a time when you have no control. And that's when you're asleep. I'll do it. Now, I want to jump to Isaiah. This is something that I've read through the years. And speaking of for God so loved, this is about, this is a 49th chapter, the 13th verse. What this is pulled out of the middle of, this is about the Babylonian captivity. This is when Israel 
was in the Babylonian captivity. And to be honest with you, to just be point blank honest, honest, they're just defeated. They're just ruined. I mean, their heart is broken. I mean, they have done wrong. They know it. And in their spirit, they are defeated. But this, 13, is in the midst of this attitude, this is what God tells his people. 49, 13, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people. And will have mercy upon his afflicted. God said, I know you're beat. I know you're beat. But I will have mercy upon mine. I will have mercy upon mine. And Israel was so beat, so beat, that this was their response. But Zion said in 14, this was how far gone they was. The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Now, Israel that has seen so much, had seen God do so much, so rich in history. I mean, they had the words of Moses. They knew everything God had done. So what point would they have to get to to make them make a statement like this? I don't think this was a couple days captivity. This was a point, this was truly, truly a defeated point for them to take, to literally say that God had forsaken them and literally had forgotten them. Now, in 15, instead of a rebuke, it's what you would almost think Look at it how you want. Instead of a rebuke for after all God had done for them. This is the way God started. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Now... God used the strongest bond that we know of today. He created us. He made us. He put the passions, the loves, the strengths, the weaknesses that we have within us. So he knew the strongest bond that we have is that of a mother and a child. The lowest piece of dirt on earth will recognize that. You do not come between a mother and her child. That is literally the strongest bond that we know of on planet earth. There is none stronger. And as a man, as a man, I recognize that. There is no stronger bond. There is none. And I truly believe that is why God chose this. And he said, can a woman forget her sucking child? And that's why I believe he used that statement. <laughs> 
this is not, and pardon this reference, and I'm not trying to be cruel, but this is not an adopted child. This is her child that she birthed. This is the one, this is hers that she is nursing. Can she forget her child? And God said, they may forget. God said, if it is possible, they may forget. And that's why he said, the strongest bond that you know of, they may forget, but I would never forget you. Go to the strongest thing you can think of, but I will never, ever forget you. And that is why I think that he chose that. This is it. This is a promise that he will keep. He said, I will not forget you. In verse 16, he says, Behold, behold, he's saying, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, and thy walls are continually before me. Now, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, now, seven hundred and twenty five years before they nailed him to the cross, God said, I want you to know. Them was my hands. Jehovah was telling them 725 years before they nailed his hide to the cross. Them is my hands. And we as apostolic one God people believe that it was Jehovah that they nailed to the cross. And how are they going to seal you to him and he said, Behold, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. I'm not going to forget you. 725 years, I've put you right here. I've graven thee on the palms of my hands. I believe God was telling them, Yahweh, every name that you want to give God, it was my hands they're going to nail to the tree. It was my flesh that they're going to put there. It was my hands. It was my hands that they're going to nail. I've graven you on the palms of my hands because it is my hands that they are nailed to the tree. I've graven thee on the palms of my hands. And he said, thy walls are continually before me. Now what is so unique about this, in the time of this was written, I've said they was in ruin. Their walls was literally in ruins. But only God can see things as though they were. The walls was in ruins, 
But God is saying, thy walls are continually before me. To understand this terminology, in Old Testament times, the walls was for one thing, and that was to keep the enemy out. Keep you safe and keep the enemy out. So he was saying, thy walls are continually before me. Jerusalem was, the Israel was saying to God, you know, you're forsaken me. And God was saying, no, 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 a thousand times no. I will never forget you. Your walls are continually before me. You see ruins, but I see walls. I'm going to nail you right here. I'm going to put you here. And the strength that I'm going to put in you is going to keep the enemy out. Because all you see is ruins. That's all Israel could see was ruins. But God was saying, I see walls. And they are continually before me. In other words, I never get away from it. The defense that I'm doing is always for the defense of you. Everything I've done. Why did God do this? Why did God do that? It was for the defense of his people. And it was for one thing. The enemy has come but to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is you. And God has said everything I've done was for the defense of you. And that is to keep the enemy away from you. So he said, thy walls are continually before me. Whether you know it or not, the enemy is constantly pursuing you. He wants to destroy you. Everything there is about you. Destroy your family. Everything associated with you. And God is saying, thy walls, your defense is constantly before me. But Israel was saying, all we can see is ruins. And God says, let your eyes go a little higher than that. You see ruins, but I see walls. Your walls are continually before me. In other words, God said, everything that I'm going to do is for the defense of you. He's going to do that. He's telling them, I'm going to do that. And he takes and he does this. And only God can do this. Only God can do this. For God so loved. He said, I've graven you here. I have you here. Your walls is continually before me. So God said, it will always be before me. For God so loved. So loved. For God so loved. He's so loved. Now, if you would, jump with me to the book of Matthew. I want to read in Matthew, if you would, please. The the very first chapter in the book of Matthew. The Bible tells us in, I'll start in Matthew. Let's start in the, um, this is one thing that I truly love. In Matthew uh, 18, in Matthew 18, Matthew the first chapter, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is 
that's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, in the story, Luke records about Mary and Joseph when they knew they was coming and the Bible says there was no room for him in the end that he was basically born in the stable. So to me, that has always set the precedent to me for humanity. From the very, I mean, from the very time the Lord was born, the Bible even says there was no room for him. So I believe it, it all comes down to this. Will you literally make room for him? It literally, from the time he was born, the Bible records there was no room for him. So from the very beginning, the creator of the universe, there's no room for him. And, you know, this was the changing of a dispensation. And I can see, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Because I can see Israel. I mean, them, them guys was warriors. And the Lord saying, you know, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And you can look at it how you want, but in the Old Testament, they kill their enemy. And the Lord said, now, are you supposed to love your enemy? I mean, there's just, I'm, I'm sure they was warriors that said, I don't think so. No, 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 not this guy. I'm not putting my arm around him and loving him. If I put my arm around him, it's going to be to break his neck. So it was just, it was a change in dispensation, really, I mean, I, I'm joking about this, but really and truly, this this was a, a a time of change. So I will truly give them the benefit of the doubt. But God was saying, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I, came to, I, I didn't come to do away with the law. I just came to add to the law. So he takes, and he was born in... The scribes and they're just there and but out of the passage that I read, the one thing that I truly that I notice out of this passage that means so much to me is where it says two times in this passage it says one time it says she was found found with child of the Holy Ghost. And the second time, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, to me, it would have been so easy, and it would have been the same thing. But I think God loves us enough. He let it be recorded that she was 
found with child of the Holy Ghost. And this is what it means to me. If it would have said that she was found with child by the Spirit of God, I would have just dealt with it. But because it says she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, boy, what that means to me is this. Because that is what he gave us. Now, the Holy Ghost is what conceived the body of Jesus Christ. He grew up. He told us, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He overcame every temptation that come against him. He knew, the Lord knew it all. But since he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, his flesh was conceived. Therefore, the Bible tells us, God said, I'm going away. While he's still standing on planet earth, he says, I'm going away. But I will send you another comforter. In his flesh, he said, I will send you another comforter. And that comforter will be the Holy Ghost. So now, what we need is the same spirit that overshadowed Mary. That gave him the strength to live. He said, it would have been the same deal if God would have said the spirit of God. But to me, it just means so much Because he said the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. Because what we need is something so strong that when the enemy comes against us, when we feel so defeated, God said, I will put in you what gave me the strength to look the devil in the eye and rebuke him and quote this word to him and say, get behind me, Satan. Then he said, I will give you that same spirit And that spirit will be the Holy Ghost. For that's what I get out of that. He said the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. She she conceived and that was the seed of the body. And therefore he said that which I'm going to send back to you will be the Holy Ghost. So therefore the spirit he's sending back back to us is the spirit of regeneration. Which is the Holy Ghost. So therefore, when I am defeated and feel like I just literally cannot make it, I got to remember God has put the Holy Ghost in me. In other words, then I'm just saying I can't do it because I know the spirit within me can do it because God has put within me a spirit that can do it and can make it and can have strength. For I have to tell myself literally, greater is he that's in me that he that's in the world. For God has already told us that we have the strength. So, so now, when and, and going back to where I started, you know, where where the that's why I, that's why I said that when when Goliath was standing on the thing saying, "Send me out a man that we may fight," and then he was saying, "Come on out, get your sword and come on out." I I would say now, it's not about what was in the hand of David; it was what was in the heart of David. For the enemy was saying, get your sword and come out and fight. It's not what was in the hand of David. It was what was in the heart of David. What was in the heart of David is I have been in battles before and God has brought me through. 
And today is just going to be another battle that God's going to bring me through. He is going to give me strength. And so it was what was in the heart. So here is Israel, this little old tiny country in the world. And it only consists of 8,019 square miles. And if you need something to compare that to, it's about the size of New Jersey. Now, literally, uh, Israel compared to the world And here is a little country that just stands up and just says, you know what, world? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they stand up and they have been hated ever since because they stand up in a world of idolatry that says there's gods here, there's gods there, there's many gods. And Israel stands up and says, no, there's not. There's only one God. And we know him and we know his name. So they asked, and they asked Jesus, the scribes. And Brother Herndon quoted this when they asked Jesus and they said the scribes, other words, the writers of the law. What is the very most most important commandment of all? What did God himself quote? He says, the hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. So it was the most important then. It's the most important now. It hadn't changed. And said, so he said, hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. So he takes, and they remembered that. So he takes and he stands up. So God has been so good to us then and he's so good to us now. So we take and we go and we, and in this time of Christmas, God is good to us. It's just, it means so much to so many different peoples, but when you boil it down, we just want to make it all about Jesus. That's what we want to do. We don't want to offend nobody. We don't want to make nobody mad, but really and truly, We don't want to make this about Christmas. What we want to do is make it about our God. And really, really, and truly. Because God has been good to each and every one of us. And I will say it, and I will just... And speaking of Jacob and Esau, I mean, we're just flesh and blood. We're just people. We got faults and failures, just like everybody else. But... I will just leave you with this spiritual reference. The world might call you Jacob, but God knows this is Israel. So Merry Christmas, and God bless each and every one of you. Lord bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.